Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch joins me now. Good morning to you, John. Of course, you'd be a royalist, John, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, had, I had a couple of people ask me this morning, did I watch it? And I said no. And both of them said that they fell asleep in the middle of it. So, so no, I didn't watch it. And I'm not, I, I have interest in history. I'm not sure I'm interested in that much history. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, there it's, you go. It's interesting indeed. All right. First of all, this morning, you're going to talk to us, John, about the new judicial guidelines on making uh, insurance payouts and, and making decisions on, on that. What's your take on it, John? Well, I think it's very interesting because it's been a long time on the go in the sense that we've talked for a long, long time in Ireland about the fact that claims are too high or that the level of awards are too high and you know, the focus often had been on the fact that, you know, the legal costs were too high. So having addressed that or or tackled that particular one and uh, the mood I, I feel like Christmas anyway. Uh it having dealt with the legal cost side of it, they're now moving on to the kind of more kind of substantive one, which is the level of award that you're talking about. Now, I think the important thing to remember is that it's interesting insofar as it comes in under the Judicial uh, Council Act. And why I find that interesting is that that was a piece of legislation that was introduced primarily to deal with conduct issues with the judiciary. And, I mean, that was the, that was the primary focus mm. of the legislation, as I understood it, was to try and make sure that we had some way of dealing with, if you had a complaint against the judge, that it would be dealt with in, in some sort of a forum and that there'd be some sort of redress available to people. But they also had two things in that legislation, which, quite honestly, I didn't think would happen as fast as it has happened. One was reviewing the personal injuries at the level of awards, and the second one, which I want to be very interested in, in watching and waiting to see when it lands, is reviewing the sentencing policy. Because if you think of it, they're two very, very close to the heart issues for a lot of people on the ground when you're trying to deal with our legal system. Yeah. depending on which side you're on I mean obviously if you're on the personal injury side uh, and you're a claimant you're going to from one perspective if you're somebody who is paying insurance for claims and you're dealing with claims and you're trying to manage the fact that you have claims you're looking at it from another perspective you know so it was very in, it's very interesting that they've actually um, grasped what, what will happen John in terms of what the judiciary will look to by way of instruction here I mean in the past it's yeah. been, been the, the book of quantum which Correct. gives them a, yeah. a, a, an indication of what it is they should pay out so what will they look to now well they look to guidelines which are similar if not almost identical to the same process that you're talking about on the book of quantum like it brings me in mind of a case that i had in france way back in my early career and i was kind of amused i suppose one way of looking at it at the way and the level of sophistication in terms of analysis of the level of quantum that you're talking about, so that they had broken it down <clears throat> right down into the minutiae of injury mm. and put figures on it. And what they've done here is that that's exactly what they've done. So, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> so, for example, to 
give you an example from old and new. If you look at the old book of quantum, the maximum that you'd get, uh, you know, the maximum award allowable was 500,000. They've actually increased it for 550,000 because they say when they look at comparative jurisdictions that we're on the low side. But then they went and looked at the ones that were all kind of, we often see in the press, the soft tissue type injuries. Mm. So, for example, you know, a shoulder injury, a minor uh, neck injury. So if you had a minor back injury or a neck injury, whiplash, which is the one that you commonly talk about. And, I mean, they've reduced those down, for example, from 18,000 to 500 to 3,000. So you can imagine that level of of drop in terms of assessment. They've taken, I mean, the, the one that hit the headlines that I saw there the other day was the a nose fracture, for example. Mm. Uh, if you look at the book of quantum, and as you say, how do you do it? Well, you look it up and you'll see what the figure is. If you look up the book of quantum, you'll see that the figure is 18 to 21,000. It has now been brought down from 500 to 3,000. But it's <clears throat> yeah, going to be very interesting to see mm. because if a judge is faced with... Now, the other thing to bear in mind, just, I mean, a couple of pointers. First of all, this isn't in yet, but the Minister for Justice has endorsed it. The judges have endorsed it. And the Minister for Justice is talking about bringing it in within, within a matter mm. of weeks. The, the other thing, of course, is what effect, if any, does it have on existing claims? And the answer to that is that if something is within the prior process and hasn't been assessed, and I mean, again, just not to get too technical about it, I mean, we have a system in Ireland that was introduced, which is the Injuries Board. And the Injuries Board makes assessment on claims. And those, anything that hasn't been assessed when this comes into law will fall within, the, in the, as I understand, will fall within mm. the ambit with this new one. So suddenly you'll be looking at a figure between 500 and 3,000 as opposed but to... But how, how can that be, John? Because I don't understand yeah. how you can give guidelines. For example, and with the greatest of respect to yourself, if you break a finger on your left hand, for example, OK, it's a nuisance and it's a pain in the ass, but if you're a, a concert pianist and you break a finger okay. on your left hand, it's a different yeah. matter. So there, there has to be surely some room there, is there? Well, there is, but... <clears throat> the, I was going to say it now, this sounds really flippant, but the level of wriggle room isn't as significant <laughs> as it was. So, for example, the one you give, the fracture of the little finger, or the, in this case, the depends on the finger. Your ring finger, by the way, is a lot more valuable than your little finger. You're a musician, so you, you'll be able to tell me the significance of that. But, for example, if you lost a ring finger under the book of quantum, you can get compensation up to 57,000. The figure has now been brought down to seventeen and a half to twenty seven and a half thousand. If it's a little finger, it used to be sixteen. It's now brought down to five hundred to seven and a half thousand for a little finger, uh, where the grip remains impaired. So, and and it's to that kind of detail that mm. you're talking about that but, they've gone. But if you're Barry Douglas and your career is is out the window, um... well, well. Good point. Well, here's here's the point to say, and here's one of the things that needs to be borne in mind. If you're a concert pianist um, and or somebody who uses uh, your fingers mm. and they are impaired to the extent that you have a loss of earnings and a future loss of earnings, now you're into a different... I mean, the old 
without getting into the too much of the, the boring detail of it. If you're looking at a personal injury claim, personal injury, often, you know, often when you're reading the paper and you see, oh, it's three million, two million, whatever. Mm. It, when you look behind that number, that number is made up of general damages and uh, ah, special, right. what, so what we call special damages, um, which tells you why the word special, but anyway, they're out of pocket. Uh, kind of items. Mm. So, obviously, if you're a concert pianist, as opposed to I don't know, whatever um, myself. Mm. Now, I would argue I use my fingers, but anyway, there you go. With voice mm. dictation, I probably don't need to. But the reality of it is that if you're looking at that situation, then you, they haven't tackled uh, the issue of special damages. They're only right. talking about pain and suffering and. You know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting kind of thing because people will often say to me, "How do you arrive at, at a figure of compensation for a particular injury?" Mm. And it's it's a very interesting question to ask, uh, and the answer to it can often be very much dependent on your particular mindset. Uh, and I mean, obviously, I would be I'd have to share my hand, and so far as as far as I would be concerned, people are as I'm you know, entitled to compensation for an injury that suffered as a result of something that somebody else did which they shouldn't have done. So my, my attitude is that that's an entitlement of law. Mm. That, you know, if there is a liability there, somebody should be responsible for it. And so the real question then, of course, is once you establish that premise and once you everybody's agreed on that, because some people would, would feel that you shouldn't really be making claims at all, but if you if you just accept the basic premise that people are entitled to make claims, and if they are, you know, real claims, as in they're not fraudulent claims, they are entitled to be compensated. So really, all you're arguing about here is the level of compensation right. payable. Will this will this make it easier or more attractive to use the injuries board, John? Well, what this will do, I think, is it because of the level of reduction at the lower end of the scale, if, if that's not been too judgmental, if you know mm, what I mean. Mm. But, but for example, somebody who has a very minor injury, uh, where you're looking at a level of compensation between 500 and 3,000, you immediately go into the district court as opposed to the circuit mm. court. So you're in a lower court, and when I mean lower, I mean just the starting point yes. of the process. That it, it just means that people may not do that, and I'm, I'm assuming that the rationale behind it is to reduce the number of claims as well as the level of claims that you're talking about. But I mean, it just what it does. When I looked at it, I thought to myself, okay, what it does mean is it does mean that the the level of claim will reduce, the level of compensation will reduce, and therefore the net effect of that to mm. our economy should be that the level of premium should reduce. But I noticed that there's a lot of shouting going on. Yeah. On, well, the insurers, after after looking for this to happen for so yeah. many years, they're now pouring cold yeah. water on the prospect of any yeah. significant reductions yeah. in, in the well, in, in the short term. Yeah, well, exactly. But And I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to make a comment on that other than the most obvious ones, which is that obviously it's reasonable enough to say that they need to see what impact it has. But I don't think it's going to, it would require a huge amount of, I don't know, foresight, intelligence or otherwise to, 
to think that if you're going to reduce the level of compensation and you're going to choose the, you're going to thereby reduce the level of cake trails that are going to be made, that the knock-on effect of that should mean that there should be a reduction and that you, you would have thought that it isn't an unreasonable thing to concede that that should reflect itself you, into you, course. You'd imagine so indeed. When do you think this will will uh, be in our courts, these new guidelines? When do you think sounds they'll like, be applicable? Sounds like weeks. Sounds, sounds old, like, right. So very very uh, short time. Yeah, it sounds, Yeah, it's a very short time. I mean, the other, the other one, Fran, which I thought was interesting when I was looking at it, is that They've actually tackled the other one, the the kind of elephant in the room when you're talking about, um, and maybe that's not a very good analogy to make, but they all, they're also tackling the one of psychiatric injury because yeah. I always remember when I started first and I used to be uh, making the claim or making the argument to know that people are entitled to a reasonable level of compensation for psychiatric injury or psychological injury mm. because it's no less an injury than a physical injury. Mm. And I remember, you know, there was the kind of this general sense out out, out there, if you know what I mean, that, ah, well, look, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not compar- comparable. And that change, that dynamic changed over the last number of years. But I noticed that in their comment like because for every heading they make various observations and one of the observations that that they make for psychiatric injury is that they say it's important for judges in all courts to remember that not all damage warrants an award of compensation and it says in the absence of physical injury recovery is permitted only for recognizable psychiatric injury so they're absolutely emphasising the fact that unless the injury, if it's a psychological one, falls within a recognisable category, compensation should not be paid. So, for example, upset, distress, grief, disappointment, humiliation do not attract compensation, is what they're saying. Wow. Yeah, so what they're saying is that even unless you have a recognised, identifiable psychiatric uh, and I presume by that they mean psychological as well. Mm, mm. Uh, that unless you have that, and then of course what they've done, what they've then done is they've gone uh, down and drilled down what they mean by way of a level of compensation payable. So they've then gone down. They said for a minor psychiatric injury, and what they define as minor is that you make a full discovery. Discovery, sorry, you make a full recovery. And that you that having made the full recovery, that the level of of upset or psychiatric damage is such that it's on the minimal scale. So they put it at five hundred to fifty a month. So do you know what I mean? They're they're downgrading, and and it, it is an overall downgrading, uh, irrespective of which side of the fence you're at. By without any argument here. And I don't mean without having an argument, mm. but without there being an argument, without a shadow of a doubt, they have reduced the level of compensation. Yeah. I, I'd have serious market. worries about about the mental health area of it because something like mm. post-traumatic stress mightn't emerge for quite some time, for example. Or, Correct. You know? Yeah, well, and uh, I, think, I think the very, like one of the kind of, when I looked at it and thought about it, one of the things that I think is absolutely key that you've just kind of put your finger on there is the fact that it, you need to be extremely careful now in terms of identifying precisely what the injury is, 
what the extent of that injury is. And because, you know, one of the one of the jobs that, you know, the differences often between uh, somebody who is involved, no, I better rephrase that, but some sometimes when I look at a file and I'm, you know, I'm at it quite a while and I read a file and then somebody else might read the same file, uh, you know, if somebody, if the client doesn't tell you, for example, and give you full details of precisely what the injuries are, it can often be the case that they haven't fully fully actually set out what the injury is or that you don't know what the full extent of the injury is or, as you say, that there may be something that may kick in at a later stage. Mm -hmm. And the important thing, of course, is that you, you only have one opportunity to make a claim. And if you make a claim and you don't include something in the claim, then you're in difficulty because you cannot come back later on and deal with it. It's, and yeah. you know, yeah. and or you know, psychological injuries, uh, psychiatric injuries, they're not as straightforward yeah. Um, yeah. necessarily as a physical injury where you can see a break, you put in it's a fracture or it's a break, and you deal with it, and then you take it from there. But yeah, I mean, the the overriding thing, of course, with it as well, you know, kind of on a would you call it a philosophical jurisprudential comment? Is it often depends a lot of the times what they're trying to do here is that what they're saying is that by doing this they're getting rid of that inconsistency of award mm. that you're talking about, and that would seem to kind of. Yes. If you like, sidestep the fact that you can always appeal an award but, anyway. But of course, injury by its nature is inconsistent from one person to another. So correct. And, yeah, exactly. And your 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 ending point there is absolutely right as well. Is that every case has to be looked at on its on its merits and in on the detail of it. But you just you just would be concerned to see that you know if case isn't presented properly, if it isn't researched properly, if all of the various uh, prognoses aren't followed through, that you'd have a situation where, you know, compensation mightn't reflect it because suddenly it falls within the range of 500 to 6, whereas in fact something left out. Before I, I let you go, can I make reference, sorry, I was speaking to Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland and I was just making the point to him, John, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's something that you and I spoke of very early on in COVID. Mm -hmm. We were predicting mm -hmm. that there will be uh, actions taken and now we're hearing that up to 40 families are taking uh, legal action um, against nursing homes for negligence mm -hmm. or, or breach mm -hmm. of statutory mm -hmm. duty or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's no surprise to you, I guess, is it? No, not really, I suppose. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the reality of it is that um, the, it's no surprise that people are taking, people would take an action. It's no surprise that there may be causes of action in this whole area. I mean, as I as I think when we discussed the last time, both of us kind of said that, you know, at the end of the day, retrospect is going to be an amazing factor when you come into, which is going to come to play when you're trying to analyse these things, you know, how... How do you apply a standard of care in a situation like this? Because ultimately, the law is based on applying a standard uh, and the point or the question is, what is that standard? How do you identify the standard? What expert evidence are you going to provide on the basis of what that standard is? And then having established what the standard is, then you have to establish that there's a breach of that standard. So it's like everything else. And, the, you know, I mean, in the most recent Supreme Court judgment when they were talking about, you know, standard of care, um, 
what the Supreme Court was saying was, you know, a standard of approach rather than care because people immediately think of care in a nursing home in terms of, you know, medical care. But we're talking about legal standards here. We're talking about looking at the standard that should have been applied, taking into account all of the circumstances. It's going to be really... From a legal point of view, as opposed to from a personal point of view, it's going to be quite interesting to watch how the, a judge is going to grapple with applying what are, you know, long-standing principles of law uh, to a situation like COVID. And we had it, by the way, with the pubs and analysing the insurance mm, policies. Yeah. We've had the first example of somebody, of a judge, coming in and looking at it and saying, wait, wait a minute here now, you know, common sense. Uh, well, he didn't say that, but effectively mm. what he was saying was that the test is what would an ordinary person in ordinary circumstances read the situation to be? Let's not get carried away with the actual what happened, the COVID scenario. What would an ordinary person at the time have thought? And that's where the real... And it, it's going to come down to, you know, what you and I have often talked about, you know, evidence experts prove balance of, you know, it's going to be down to balance, I mean, as in you know, in every legal case. And is there anything, and, and I only skirted through an, an article this morning, John, so I can't swear mm. to it, but mm. it looks to me like that there's an indemnity with, with nursing homes in the States in some fashion or other, I'm not quite sure why, but the fact that it was a global pandemic that was out of control, does that play any legal part in, in well, an argument? Does. Well, it does insofar as that obviously it's the fact that it's a pandemic, the fact that it's global, the fact that it is entirely novel uh, from our in our lifetime, I think, anyway, mm. and the fact that there was no, that it was a national issue, an international issue, that's all going to come into play in terms of analysing how, what, what the standard of care is. So if you're looking at nursing homes, for example, you know, what was the standard of care that won't, I mean, the Supreme Court judgment on, on professional negligence or med- medical negligence has set out what the test is. And what they've said, the test is, what would someone of equal standing uh, do in a similar situation? So if you're going to test and, if you like, put one nursing home into the spotlight, you're going to have to have a spotlight that's going to range across all of the industry and you're going to have to have uh, an expert who will compare what that industry reaction was but then you have the exception under the rule that the Supreme Court has put into this situation and that is that the fact that you put the spotlight on the entire industry to, to, to try and establish some sort of a baseline that that doesn't necessarily mean in all cases that that baseline is was a correct baseline. And that's where it's going to be really yes. interesting. And, and, and of course, it could be argued, I guess, John, anyway, that there's not precedent, really. Correct. And there, but you see, it's a bit like, uh, it's a bit like going back to um, the guidelines on that they're putting in for personal injuries. They put in a little paragraph in it that said that if you're looking at an injury that isn't covered by our guidelines, what you do is you go looking for something that's similar and then you use that as a benchmark. So the reality of it here is that there is no doubt that an expert or experts will come along and look at something which is similar but not the same, obviously, and then will look to establish 
some mm. sort of a criteria. And I mean, it's like, Fran, you know, and I know, it's like everything else, arguments can be made. And and inevitably, John, it will be a complex web because it will, you know, if if the the nursing homes are are held up uh, to this, Mm. they'll they'll pass it on, or they look to other situations that might have uh, that, as they see it, may may have uh, added to the situation. Anyway, it's going to be interesting times ahead, John. Well, you're other, you're, you're other, and again, not to hold you, but you're other, you're, the other thing, of course, to remember is that you've seen quite a significant uh, state intervention in areas like this over the last number of years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've seen a compensation. So who knows where, where this will end up. It's going to be interesting. John, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Bye-bye, you know. That's uh, John Lynch there. Always a mine of information uh, from Lynch solicitors in Clonmel. 11.31 right now.